Today on Her Wild Outdoors, Doug Duran joins me for a conversation on CWD. We talk about the responsibilities of being a landowner or a public land owner or somebody who is a part of hunting on private land. So tune in, enjoy this conversation, and let us know what you take away from it. Okay, thank you everybody for listening in to another Her Wild Outdoors. I am honored to have a gentleman on the podcast today, Doug Duran. And uh, Doug is a hunter, he's a landowner, he's a land manager, conservationist. And I mean, Doug, we could keep adding things to this and we can talk a little bit more about it as we go. But thank you so much for joining me today. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. Yeah, there. There's a lot of uh, different hats that I've worn over the yeah. years. Um, the one consistent one has been, you know, hunting and conservation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and more. No, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm yeah. really grateful. Um, we have a couple of mutual friends who have talked greatly about you, and a couple of listeners actually have reached out to me, including our friend Lindsay, who hey. has said, hey, who said, this is a conversation we want to hear about. This is a conversation that is something that either you are, like CWD is something that you are either fighting to keep out of your area or you are trying to keep it at bay. And so everybody is, is supposed to be involved in this somehow. So you are the top name of people to talk to. So I'm grateful. Well, that's, um, that's, Nice to hear. You know, I guess my experience with with CWD and my perspective as a landowner, a hunter in an area where it's from, is uh, is what I have to offer expertise. Um, certainly, I've read the science and I pay attention to the scientists, mm-hmm. but um, I am certainly not an expert, and um, or nor do I play one on television or on podcasts. So, um, you know, for instance, uh, Brian Richards from the USGS Wildlife Health Center is an expert. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been on a couple of podcasts with him that were, you know, sort of longer form concert, uh, conversations. And and uh, he's really a, a you know great source for it. But, yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about my uh, my experience and, and, and thoughts on um, CWD. Um, I think the difference, I think the difference is we keep hearing from government officials. We keep hearing from our wildlife agencies. We keep hearing from the government what we should be doing. We hear from QDMA. We hear from uh, National Deer Alliance, which now they're together. Like you keep hearing from these things, but hearing from somebody who is a landowner, who has been in the thick of things that have been done right and things that have been done wrong and hearing from an individual that we can relate to you, I think that that makes a huge difference. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I know I told you a little bit about this, but um, I did some work for the American Forest Foundation a while ago, a while ago um, in a program called the Woodland Advocate Program. And what that was is a landowner to landowner outreach um, where a, a landowner like me had the experience with forestry and, and, and the different work that we were doing, um, then offered to have conversations with other landowners rather than their first conversation being with, um, someone from the government who's there to help, you know? Um, and so that model really makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know people are more comfortable with that and so I, yeah i agree that the, the one of the things that i'm offering i i, I and people like me there's a uh, whole list of folks here in Wisconsin um, is that landowner, I'm sorry, the hunter to hunter conversation. And, um, you know, like, here's what my experience has been. And I've had a lot of tailgate talks with folks at, at our CWD uh, kiosk mm-hmm. and our dumpster. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's, that's really important. I think conversation in any form or fashion, wherever it is, is important. I think one-on-one conversation, uh, face-to-face conversation, um, I think it's important not only to get details out, but to say, hey, this is what works and this is what doesn't work. And I love actually what you, uh, this whole kiosk dumpster, tell us a little bit about that because I was reading about it and I was looking at it on your page and I was like, that's ingenious. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, it's not man's space flight, right? I mean, it's kind of like, uh, basic um epidemiology i mean mm-hmm. if, we're, if you're blowing your nose and you're let's say you're sick and you're blowing your nose well you're not throwing a kleenex on the floor right you right. Leave that infectious material so you know it's properly disposing of what probably uh or, or what can be infectious material um you know boy wisconsin's we've been dealing with cwd for almost 20 years now so um if we've learned any lessons, and I think we have, and there's been a lot of mistakes made, and I and I and I think Wisconsin is a cautionary tale for a lot of states, um, and it all kind of comes down to experience and um, understanding, and mm-hmm. you know, sort of willingness to what I think to, is to do what's right for the for the resource, and so I don't know what's been three four years ago now, three years ago. Um, a friend of mine, Joe Rogan, has this podcast you might have heard of. You know, <laughs> just a little. You know, a little podcast yeah. out, mm-hmm. it's out in Texas now. But, um, and and um, I've got to be friends with Joe because of Steve Rinella and, and hunting. And and he uh, I, I was down in Chicago and I, I went down and hung out with him. And boy, it was hot, like, hi, Doug, when are we going to do a podcast about chronic wasting yeah. things? And I'm like, well, nice to see you and let's schedule something. Yeah. And um, we talked about it a little bit. And I said, well, look, here's the thing. Just sort of like I told you when we first talked, my perspective and experience is what I can offer when it comes to an expert. I'm not an expert. Let's bring an expert in. And he goes, do you have a suggestion? I was like, have you listened to the Renella podcast I did with Brian Richards? And he goes, as a matter of fact, can you get that guy? And I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so Brian and I went out. And we did that um, that podcast on the plane on the way out there. Brian is, you know, just like doing a mind dump to me. He was handing me uh, studies and that sort of thing to, to read and just telling me how to, you know, to look for the most important thing. And I was like, well, here's one about carcass disposal. Yeah. What's the deal with that? And he goes, well, it's low-hanging fruit. I mean, this is basic, you know, hygiene, right? And he, and he said, think about it. And so, of course, I did. I'm like, well, yeah, it's like a Kleenex, right? He goes, well, yeah, but, you know, it's <laughs> bigger than Kleenex. But if you're leaving infectious material on the landscape, it's going to get spread around. So it's really a, about reducing um, 
risk. Well, anyway, I said, so we don't have a dumpster program in Wisconsin. And he said, well, they did at one time, you know, they had, and they still, the DNR still has some dumpsters out because you can imagine that can be a cost right. involved with everything that went on in Wisconsin in the, the polit- politics getting involved with this. And, you know, DNR just, there was a lot of funding loss and, you know, um, so <laughs> on the podcast, I don't know, Joe's got like, 20 or 30 people listening to him, right? Um, <laughs> and I said, when we started talking about that, I said, well, it seems to me that this is pretty simple. If I'm going to do something about this, I should get, I should put a dumpster out of my land and at least in our area, mm-hmm. do what I can to slow it. Because here's what I learned from Brian about CWD. And I think everybody can relate to this. If you don't have it, you don't want it. Right. And we've got that whole thing about not moving carcasses around and all of that, right? And let's not, you know, and, and so there's a lot of rules now that everybody should learn um, in the area where they're hunting. And then the other part of it is if you do have it, you want as little as possible. And we could probably think about a lot of infections and diseases and situations where that might be the case also. You know, recently, maybe. Yeah. But so if you don't have it, you don't want it. If you do have it, you want as little as possible. So imagine this. Okay, so you've got a, and, and, and anyone who spends any time learning about CWD, um, you can go to cwdinfo.org, call it your management, National Deer Alliance, all good, um, uh, good, good sources, um, USGS Wildlife Health Center. Right. Um, Doug Dern is not that great of a source for information because when people ask me about CWD, I generally refer them to th- those two or three websites. That's why you're more. valuable. <laughs> you know where to send people. <laughs> I, mean, I love it when people reach out to me. I mean, it's 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 I, I it's it, I'm I'm honored by the, the by all of that. Um, but I'm not going to give you the answers uh, other than what makes sense to me. And if you don't have it, you don't want it. If you have it, you want as little as possible. Well, that really means is that we want to keep the infection rates as low as possible. Right. How do you do? Well, one of them is by not even putting a carcass out on the landscape. Mm-hmm. And, and we used to, um, we had a spot on the farm. That's where all our bones went. And right. Coyote hunters, friends of mine who coyote hunt, um, would come and that's where they'd start their dogs. Cause you know, the coyotes yeah. would come there. Quite honestly, I still do that, but I know that that deer, that the carcass that I put out there is not infected with, was not it's infected a negative, with yeah. So, because I, we hold on to our carcasses until we find out. I've got, I have the opportunity to do that. So anyway, it's really about r- reduction of risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, the recent stuff, the, the COVID stuff and all that, it's all about reducing risk, right? So this is one of the things, and, and as Brian called it, it's low-hanging fruit, right? Um, and otherwise, you know, I had a guy stop at the dumpster the other day, and it's kind of funny. He goes, man, I'm sure am glad that you're doing this. This is just great to have a place to throw these things. I was like, yeah, well, I mean, the whole idea is, I said, you want to get that head cut and we'll test it? Ah, no, I'm not worried about the CWD. I'm like, okay. Um, eventually, we did take the head off, and he, we did get it tested. It was an interesting conversation. And again, if I wasn't there, if there wasn't somebody there, that would happen. But anyway, he said, well, I just hate to see him end up in the ditch, which kind of told me where he'd been throwing his carcasses in the past. Right. And so, you know, so there's that. And when you're in a county, uh, Richmond County, where I'm at, that has an infection rate of about 17%, if we have 200 
carcasses in our dumpster, which is about what a carcass holds. I know more about dumpsters and how many carcasses and how much it weighs and how much. Oh, I bet you do now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But if we have 200 carcasses in there and it's 17%, somebody out there do the math for me, but it's 34, I think, right? Um, So that are, I mean, that you can probably draw a line and say that's how many infected carcasses we've kept off the landscape. And if you get into a higher prevalence area, Mm -hmm. um, it would be more. Yeah. So that's not the cure. There's no silver bullet, right? No. It's just like, COVID, it's like there isn't, we don't have a cure. We have ways to slow the spread to, you know, reduce risk and all of that. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a number of things that we need to be doing. And so the, the, um, the dumpster was one of them. And the cool thing was that we um, started, uh, we just raised some money. I mean, it was easy, you know, being on Joe's podcast didn't hurt. Um, and we raised some money and, and I put some of my own into it and we put time and effort into it. And, uh, that first year, I think we had six dumpsters and, um, since then DNR, our department of natural resources here in Wisconsin has cost shared them. They have a limited, very limited budget right. to reallocate money for chronic wasting disease. Uh, that was for chronic wasting disease, the dumpsters. So now it's, it's a 50% cost share, um, but what's happened really statewide, I was told by the former um, uh, president of our Conservation Congress that from what he sees, no one in Wisconsin will have to drive more than about 20 miles to properly dispose of a car. That's amazing. And it's really only a three-year period of time. Are the dumpsters, and, uh, are they, uh, like, how would people find a dumpster near them? Well, there's two ways. Um Glad you brought that mm-hmm. up. There's two ways. You're a good host. <laughs> um, the first one is Wisconsin DNR's website has the locations. And as they're going online, which they're just starting to do now, because quite honestly, uh, a dumpster full of deer carcasses gets a little rank when it's mm-hmm. one. Um, because it takes a while to fill one up. Right. Um, but they have a web- on their website, um, CWD, you know, you can just search cwd wisconsin dumpsters and a, a map will come up but um i'm gonna let the cat out of bag here special announcement um onyx uh the mapping software who i do a little bit of work with and you know they're obviously a sponsor of uh meat eater who mm-hmm. i also do a little um reached out to me about um they helped us out last year with helping getting information you know uh their, their app is really easy for getting the the, the right information onto the the testing things in the kiosk, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we got talking about what else could they do. And I said, I think it would be, this would be something that you could do is put all the dumpster locations by, they told me by November 1st, that's their goal. So a week from coming up, right? Yeah. They will, that'll also be on Onyx, all those locations. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. And the kiosk locations, the dumpster locations, the kiosk locations and the cooperator locations so yeah i'm really i mean onyx is the, the folks that I've, I've met there and talked with have been really helpful they've sent me car uh subscription cards so that i can give them to the other cooperators They're great to help out mm-hmm. um you know getting the information because if you have it <clears throat> set up properly you can just touch the spot and it gives you longitude and, latitude. and that's the easiest that's the, the most important information yeah is where was this deer killed um and so, um, 
that's part of the kiosk thing, um, which is we've we've paired it. So I've got a not all not all not all kiosks have dumpsters, and not all dumpsters have kiosks. Um, in my case, we have both. So the kiosk is a self service. Um, uh, location where you can bring in a deer mine tend to be does mm-hmm. um, and you remove the head um fill out the paperwork vital the locations there uh put a tag in the ear drop the head in the bag drop the, the head in the box and then um every couple of days i take them to a cooperator who actually removes the lymph nodes and does all that um I've had a couple of bucks. I've had some bucks dropped off that are maybe smaller antlers and people mm-hmm. aren't used to, uh, worried about it. But if you, there are cooperators who will take the lymph nodes out. Like if you want to keep your, uh, right. you know, your rack or whatever, you want to take the head with you or your taxidermist can do it as well. I just chose not to do the extraction because um, one, there's a cooperator five miles away and she's an old friend who has a store and she gets paid to do it. Right. Um, so, um, it's a good thing for her. It's a good, you know, it, it's a central location. Then it's easy for DNR to come there and pick everything up. Yeah. So that's a part of what we're doing is making their CWD. Um, and I volunteered to do this, this kiosk, I guess it was important to, to say that um, we actually built two. Um, one is a few miles away and, and uh, Mitch and Liz Baker um, should have Liz and Mitch on sometime. Um, they, um, she's a, BHA uh, board member and he's on the um, uh, conservation Congress. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they volunteer to do this and uh, they have a, a little girl, Eva, who, um, you know, they'll bring up in uh, hunting and, and just, just really smart and important uh, people, you know, hearts of gold. Anyway. Um, so they're managing that one and they raised money with some clubs and they have dumpsters over there in that area. And, um, like if Mitch or Liz is taking a heads in, they'll stop at mine and pick them up yeah. and take them on or vice versa. And all of a sudden that money, that CWD pot that DNR has goes a lot further because we're volunteering to do it. this. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm standing there and I'm not there all the time, but it's right out at my farm and I'll see somebody down there and I'll go down, Hey, you need any help? Or, you know, and then my phone number's on there and just text me if you dropped off a deer or that kind of thing. And uh, I have a lot of conversations with folks about CWD. One, like I already told you about, but another one was a guy that I've known my whole life. He goes, CWD sounds like Homer Simpson. He said, uh, CWD, is that still around? I'm just getting rid of my carcass. And, uh, and then I had a good chat with him about it. But that landowner, landowner, hunter to hunter contact is really um, important. Well, you know, you um, get rid of, like they used to have where you would check in your deer. Like you'd have a check-in station. And right. everything going online has kind of separated us into this where we've lost communication. We've lost that face-to-face conversation. Like those check-in stations, that's where these conversations would be great to have. And, you know, let's weigh your deer. Let's take um, a sample. And I, what, two years ago, I got a buck and I drove through because I was going to the processor. That was before we processed our own deer. And there was, TWRA was there checking, um, taking samples and it was great because it was middle Tennessee. We don't have it in, well, 
We have not had a positive testing here in, ten- in Middle Tennessee yet. I like how you catch yourself. Hey, that's, I, that's there's it has been here longer than it has tested positive for. And yeah. I'm from West Tennessee where it is at. And just because it hasn't been tested, a positive test here doesn't mean it's not here. And right. so having the knowledge, the Onyx thing is going to be amazing because making mm-hmm. it easier for people to find where they can check it in, to find where they can these kiosks or a dumpster or like to be able to make it easier for hunters to give the information gives us more information on where this is, where it has grown. Has it subsided a little bit? Have we been doing a good job? Do we need to change things? And making it accessible is that first step. Oh, I I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, to be clear, Wisconsin is also invested in a thing called Go Wild, um, which is a mapping software. It's got all kinds of stuff on it. But it's really helpful. And But you're right. It's only, I mean, it's less than uh, five years, I think, Mm -hmm. that we've had online registration. You always just have to take them in. And, And pros and cons to all of that right. you just heard some of the cons that all of a sudden it's more difficult to get um samples you know it's not just like somebody there you know when you're checking them in and then i think the social end of it i think it's all a shame that we've lost that social right. contact and all of that and um and that some of the businesses have suffered from it as right. well um but i also get it you know i mean i understand sort of that was almost inevitable right right um, but they have a, they have their own site. But what's happening, of course, with a company like Onyx is they're nationwide, right? You know, exactly. They, and so they're going to be able to have something in place for um, uh, for other states who haven't invested, made that investment in the technology and the building of those sites and everything that um, that Wisconsin has. Um, it might encourage so I, them I think, to do I think it. It's a nice pub- I mean, with all of us, I think it's a nice public-private, uh, you know, cooperation, um, which I think is really important. It's very important, and it, this is one of those things that crosses that line, right? You've got yeah. public hunters, you've got private land hunters, you've got yeah. it. There seems to be a divide, and CWD doesn't see that divide. <laughs> At yeah. all. Uh, and yeah, no, the, the deer don't know the difference between my land and the neighbor's land no. or my land and anybody else's land and public land. No. So um, we all as hunters have this responsibility. And I think that that's I was talking with um, with Joe Benedict, who is here, our TWRA. Okay. And one of the things that he said when they got that first positive, when they first said it is here, it is now documented here. We need hunters. It mm-hmm. this is this is not going to fix with the government. This is the yeah. hunters are your hands on boots on the ground. The first person to have contact with a CWD positive deer. So right. you've got to work with each other in order to figure this thing out. You can't have hunters going, well, I don't need to have my deer tested. It's been here forever, which is what I've heard. It's always mm-hmm. been here. Why do I need to be a part of this? Because we need to we need to figure out how it's moving, and you can't figure that out without testing. You just can't. And the testing, the testing, and the data will will if you pay attention to it, <clears throat> folks, um, 
you can research this and you will find out it has not always been here. No. Mm-mm. You know, maybe it was in a specific location at one point, but it arrived there somehow. Right. Which they're not sure, but it has spread from there. Yes. Um, and and you can happened. see in Tennessee, oh, yeah. if you look at at the map of positive cases, you can see how it kind of began in that southern west corner near the mm-hmm. Mississippi border, Arkansas, that whole area. Yeah. And it has started creeping. And I'm grateful that it's creeping because I don't believe it's moving very fast at this moment. But we have a whole lot of deer in Tennessee. Holy moly. I just a did lot. a lot. I mean, we've got a lot of deer. And Tennessee uh-huh. does this. I, was, I just did a, just about a month ago, did a uh, thing with the Wildlife Tennessee Wildlife Federation. And that's, I Joe was on there and um, and a few other folks from uh, Tennessee. Lindsay, what, what Lindsay Garden. Yeah, but what's, but what's the name of the department? Is it not the Department of Natural Resources? It's, or is it? It's the Tennessee, Tennessee. Federation, the Wildlife Federation. No, 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 no. Your government agency. Oh, TWRA, Tennessee Wildlife okay. Resources and Yeah, I couldn't agency. remember exactly what it was. Anyway, I was asked to be on this podcast to give my or, uh, landowner um, perspective. Meeting to give my perspective. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what happened. And so I was like one of the last people to talk. And so I sat like I'm doing now and um, listening to this and watching it. And when they were talking about Southwest Tennessee having a hundred deer per square mile. I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've got 70 to 75 in parts of our county on average in our county. We have a lot of deer, but holy moly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, before, I guess I knew you were from Tennessee, but um, just, you know, getting to know each other here a little bit. Um, that was a fascinating uh, conversation to be a part of. You know, especially to be at the end to listen to everything that Tennessee is doing, and I have to applaud um, your both your your landowners down there, uh, the the Wildlife Federation and uh, mm-hmm. the agency, all of the work that they're doing on it. Um, uh, and it's definitely you, you've got. To, I mean, the, the more it only makes sense, right? The higher the density of deer, the more apt they are to right. to, to spread it. So we have to talk about deer densities and balance and population and all that. Um, and, and that's, and I mean, that's why it's different across the state. We're a long state. And so the yeah. amount of deer on the western side toward the middle where we are, we have high density. On the eastern side of Tennessee, it's not as much. And so yeah. that's why, you know, from central to west, you can take three dough a day and two bucks in a year. If you're in a CWD county, there's a possibility you can take up to three bucks a year. Yeah. It sounded to me like it was sort or of more. unlimited in a buck. Yeah. It, that, I mean, I was like, that's like. If that's you're a having them happened. tested, if you are having, yeah. if you are involved in this process, then there are more, like there are more possibilities for you to be hunting. But that's the thing. If you have a high density of deer, you have to be hunting them or it is going yep. to go. It's, it's going to be a fire storm. And I. I was surprised by a few things. One, the, the density, mm-hmm. and then two, the size of the land ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, thousands of acres. Yes, by one landowner, one landowner group, and I was like, "Well, that's 
you, you guys have a better chance because if you're controlling 1,500, 2,000, more than that acres, you do have a better control. Now I'm going off on the deer biologist thing and I shouldn't, but, <laughs> but you have a better chance. I mean, this is really practically, you have a better chance to control the herd in that area. If you are you responsible control, for it. If you're responsible, right? Whereas up here, um, Southwest Wisconsin, where I mean, we have 430 acres, we're a big landowner. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of 40s and 80s and 120s and stuff like that. So it's our landscape is um, is parcelized, um, you know, a lot of different landowners. And then in some cases, our our uh, habitats become fractionalized too. You know, you, you see what you can imagine what happened there. But it's a lot harder to have a um, landowner cooperation. But right. It sounded to me like um, they got it, like they heard it. The landowners heard it. They were trying to figure out ways. Um, I would, and I pitched that night that allowing more people on and landowners, uh, as as a landowner, I, I do not like. I am not a fan of unrestricted access to my right. private land. Right. So how can we do things? You know, how can we uh, allow people on? Um, and, and, uh, and get more deer killed. I mean, I, quite honestly, it's, it, it happened to me a few years ago. Um, I think I shot seven or eight deer and I was like, I'm becoming a deer exterminator here. Mm. And, uh, I was literally, I remember going, well, boom, and then boom, right. and sort of like dropping deer versus, well, that's not that great. That, the experience, I, I guess the experience was the same for the deer. Right. But, um, <laughs> but it was different for me. I know it's what I wanted But um, but true. Mm-hmm. But so then yeah. I began to think about I should be doing. I should be thinking about allowing more access to this farm and what that looks like, which is another conversation that I hope we can, I can come back sometime and talk yeah. about. Is because that's, that's a whole that's here. that's a whole episode in itself. Because yeah, there's there's only I mean hunters for the hungry. Here in Tennessee, if you're going to be shooting, which you're not, I mean, let's just be honest. I'm not going to go out and shoot three doe in a day and a buck, which is the legal mm-hmm. amount that I can, I can take four deer in a day. Well, I'm not going to do that, but our family will go through four deer in a year. That's, that's about as much as we consume and share. If mm-hmm. we hunt now that all four of us are hunting, if we are taking more than four deer in a year, yes, there's hunters for the hungry. There are families that I can donate it to. There's all that possibility. But my responsibility is to keep hunting. Right. Well, and I think the responsibility as a landowner, which I am, you know, you know, I talked about you not being but right. hunting quite a bit on private land. Um I think I have some responsibility to provide access. And then one of the responsibilities of those hunters, which again, is a, yep. that's that whole that long, long conversation. And I do provide access to folks. Um, uh, and, and uh, to, you know, for instance, last year we shot 24 or 25 deer on our property. Two of them were donated, but, um, and there were, there was one positive. But let's say whatever it was, approximately 20. I'm sorry, I don't have the numbers exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, they went home with, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I use one deer a year. I raise grass-fed beef, and we like that, too, and we only eat some. So all of a sudden, that went, those deer went home with 
you know, not exactly 20 different people because some people took two. Yeah. But, um, but you know what I mean? And so it's like, wow. And then they had the experience of hunting um, and they had to listen to my uh, ramblings about conservation <laughs> and land management. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, the res- and, and so for their opportunity in hunting on our farm, they also, you know, got a responsibility to, mm-hmm. uh, they, one, they had to get it tested. Right. Um, two, they had to make, make use of it. And three, um, they had to understand what their what it takes to to manage a piece of property. And actually, everyone who hunts with me does things on my farm, or for conservation. Otherwise, yeah, um, it doesn't all have to be on our farm, but they are making contributions to conservation. Otherwise, makes me feel really good about having them on the on on the property. Right. And it makes and them feel good because they're earning it. It's I. There are gifts that I'm very grateful for, but but receiving something that I've earned, there, it's a different feeling. And you and I talked a little bit about that earlier. But it, it's um, it's something that we should be passing down to the next generation yeah. of hunters, whether you're a landowner or you're a participant in hunting somebody's land. Being able to earn something, being able to give something into that and work into it, there's there's so much more joy that comes out of it. I think so. Um, and, and I know that that's the sort of thing that landowners are more interested in. Landowners aren't really interested in just, yeah, sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, go hunting and, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, I think there's still some of that out there. But the rural landscape, especially, and I'm sure it's the same in Tennessee, but our landscape has changed so dramatically now. Here's a, let me lay some numbers on you. So 85% of Richmond County, where I, I live here in southwest Wisconsin, which is high deer density, mm-hmm. and sort of like you were saying, Tennessee, east to west is right. west to east changes. North to south is sort of the same here. In the south, we have a lot of deer. In the north, not so many. So different management strategies in different yeah. areas, right? Well, the, the idea that, you know, we have these programs like voluntary public access. Um, I think that that's a, a, a good program and that works for some people. Yeah. Um, we have a thing called Managed Forest Law Open, which is a good program. And that's private land, too. And that's a good program and that works for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, we have public land and that's a good thing, too. And that works for some people. But if we're going to, oh, I was going to tell you this, these numbers, 85% of my colleagues, Southwest in Richmond County, Southwest Wisconsin is considered deer habitat. 85%. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, 95% of that land, of that habitat land, is privately owned. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that if you're going to do something about deer numbers or disease or anything or access, you're going to have to work with that private land. Yes. And so how are we going to do that? And how do you reach out to them? How do you make them feel? So then the other statistic that's really interesting, that's changed very dramatically in my lifetime, is over 60% of that land um, of our county is owned by people who don't live here. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one wow. of the things where it used to be, yeah, in a farm community, a little farm community like this, was all these small dairy farms. And I knew everybody. I mean, we knew everybody. Yeah, and it's not that way here. anymore. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's absentee owners. It's um, and I, and there's pros and cons to all of it, right. right? I mean, it's just right or wrong, whatever. This is the way it is. Um, I'm I work because I have a land management um business. I work with a lot of those folks, or some of those folks, I should say. And 
what I've noticed about absentee landowners is they're really worried about they, they concern themselves about conservation and their land and yeah. good things, all of that. Um, they need to learn um, things to learn, and some of them do. And you know, it's really it's fun to see sort of the evolution. I have a, uh, a really good friend right now who was a client and now has become a friend, and um, he's just like. He's like a Labrador retriever puppy, you know, it's just like, <laughs> what are we learning about today? You yeah. know, and he's just excited all the time. And it's, you know, it sort of helps me uh, remain um, excited. And, and if I ever get down about any of this stuff, it's people like that that kind of make me remember, you know, yeah. uh, adult onset hunter, you know, which is a really interesting demographic um, uh, to me and an important demographic, just like the fact that more women are getting involved with hunting mm-hmm. uh, is really important. And I'm, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm so excited about that. And, and um, I think it's, it, it helps on so many levels. I mean, more hunters, another perspective, um, you know, different kinds of interests, you know, a wider conversation, a bigger yeah. tent, all of that stuff. Great. Just, just great stuff. Um, so the old, you know, people, oh, I remember the good old days. And I just kind of go, oh, yeah, this, I remember the good old days too, where I could <laughs> go wherever I wanted and, yeah. you know, and all that. But it, it was just different. It wasn't better. It was just different. As far as deer hunting goes, these are the good old days. I yeah, feel well, I mean, that I way. We have a lot of deer around here. Now we've got to go the other way. Right. You know, trying to reduce and balance our um, balance our herd with our ecosystem. I think so. it's, uh, it has definitely changed. I know Tennessee has changed a lot in the past, I'd say even less than under 20 years, the mm-hmm. amount of deer that we have has changed. Um, we have introduced elk now across Kentucky and uh, yeah. South Carolina and Virginia and Tennessee. Like, I feel like so that. Yes. Yeah. Um, we're introducing a whole lot of things back in that we had lost due to hunting. Our turkey numbers have changed tremendously, even over just the past 10 years. And yeah. that all goes hand in hand with management. Um, you were talking just a little bit a second ago about that responsibility of landowners and people coming onto private land, if we talk a little bit about public land and CWD, as a person who hunts private and public, my responsibility doesn't end just because I don't own the land or just because I'm not hunting on private land. Just because it's public land doesn't mean that my responsibility to get that deer checked um, is out the window. Or that I can leave a carcass on public land just because it's public. It's for every – my responsibility is, is to keep CWD out of public and private land. Um, that's – it's it's hand in hand. I think a lot of West Tennessee still is um, very private, whereas I feel like our middle Tennessee is a mixture of both. Um, mm. We do have public lands in West Tennessee. Don't hear me wrong on that. But I think that a lot of the percentage, I think the percentage is higher of private land in West Tennessee. But as CWD creeps and as it moves, I am calling on public land hunters to hold the same responsibility to have that deer tested, to not just leave a carcass there, to mm-hmm. – um, to watch those county lines. I'm taking my daughter in a week and a half 
over to West Tennessee. I've actually never hunted deer in my hometown ever. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm an I'm an adult onset hunter. Um, uh-huh. I was in my early 30s when I started hunting, and so I've just never. My family wasn't a hunting family, so I've never been hunting in West Tennessee, let alone in a CWD county. So in a week and a half, we will be doing it. My daughter was invited by a friend to um, hopefully harvest her first year. And we're very excited about it. But what comes along with that is the investigation is the, okay, we're going to be in this county. Where are testing stations? Where are, because that is something that we're going to need to do. We can't move the meat over and across county lines until we know what the test results would come as. Um, So we have to, you know, make sure that we have a plan. And it's not that it's a whole lot of work. It's not that I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to do all this work. I'm going to have to do all this investigation. It's very easy to find uh, what we need to do beforehand. It's just implementing it. If she gets a buck, what what are our plans? Right? How, are they going to be tested? Where do we take the head? Is everything going to be frozen in the county? And then when we figure it out afterwards, we can then remove it or dispose of it correctly. So, right. Well, um, the opportunity, what a great opportunity for you and your daughter. Yes. But oh, yes. With opportunity comes responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm so happy to hear that you're taking that responsibility seriously, but even happier to hear that that's what you're instilling on your on your daughter yeah. as well. And, and I mean, I just think that's a good lesson in life, whether it has to do with hunting or whatever it is. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. What is my responsibility here? Yes. Yeah. Great, yeah that's and a great thankfully, lesson. there are taxidermists that know those rules. There are um, there's check in stations that have, you know, CWD testing places. There's if we want to cape something out, how do you cape out if you're in the woods in a safe way? Like what? These are all of the questions that I think people wonder and they go, how do we? And that's. That's why you have the experts. That's why the information is online. But you have to be careful online where you get that information from. Where you get your information. <laughs> well, I would say your your your, your uh, wildlife agency in yes. Tennessee is the place to get the information or from the Wildlife Federation. Um, I drew. Um, anyway, <laughs> I have a friend drew at, at the Wildlife Tennessee Wildlife mm-hmm. Federation. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's that. It's very important, and it's not hard. I mean, oh. I, I think that. Um, I mean, getting the information sometimes doing the work is so. Like, you know, an example is, um, people have asked me, "Well, are you leaving your uh, guts in the woods <laughs> when you feel dressed your deer? Or are you, t-, you know?" And I, we some we do, and some we don't. Um, all the carcasses that are. Uh, that when once we debone, they all go into the dumpster, unless we have had them tested. Mm-hmm. And I have a walk-in cooler essentially, so we hang carcass and we can wait. And in Wisconsin, it's seven to ten days, so we have a very quick turnaround. That is nice, uh, which, is, which is really a nice length of time to be hanging an animal, to right? Be, um, aging meat. Um, and if that deer hasn't tested it positive, um, I. Put the carcass back out on the landscape. I'm 
confident that I'm reducing that risk. So all of these things, again, it kind of goes back to the um, uh, to the tissue analogy. We're just reducing risk. We can't right. eliminate it completely. Um, we can reduce risk by following the rules, which we have in Southwest Wisconsin, which it, it, it bums me out when I know there are people who are not, mm-hmm. which is no bait, no mineral licks, all of that. When There was a time when we could do um, minerals, and I, I did that on the farm. Once this came down, once I real, once I learned, I mean, remember I'm 62 years old, so I've been involved with this stuff for a long time. Um, when I was a kid, you couldn't have mineral or salt out. Then there was this period of time where you could do it. We, I kind of got interested in that. Well, are we adding, you know, and I was interested in antlers and kind of lost that. Well, I'm still interested in antlers, but I'm not, I'm interested in, um, I mean, I love deer antlers, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not forsaking everything else just for a, a rack. I think this um, year especially is like that. I think you're gonna see more does taken this year than last year. Yeah, there's a yeah. I, and well, that's a whole I different think, that's that's dealing with do you have food in your freezer? Do you have like their Well and things that have resulted, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. I'm, uh, a different rabbit hole, but I find that to be really interesting. In Wisconsin, there was a dramatic increase, and I don't know the exact number, so I won't say I don't know the percentage in fishing licenses sold this last mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. I can tell you, I live on the lake here in Casnovia, and we've lived here for three years. And I look out, and this past summer, there have been a lot more people fishing oh, yeah. and, and keeping them, which is great. Um, Our turkey so numbers this spring at, were they? Oh, you could take three turkeys. This spring in Tennessee, next year, it's going to be only two just to manage it out and balance it back out because of how many there's thousands. And were there more people hunting? Yes. Were there more? Yes. Yeah. So I hope that's the case also with deer hunting here in Wisconsin, at Mm -hmm. least in Southwest Wisconsin. Um, It's a little weird because I have kind of a deer camp, you know, our old farmhouse and as seen on, you know, meat eater and everything. Um, And so I'm not completely comfortable with a bunch of people coming around in from wherever, but I'm figuring out ways of managing um, that. I don't probably, but I I don't live on the farm. I'm out there all the time, but there's a house there. And so, you know, gathering there, Mm -hmm. I just trying to figure that out. But at the same time, I, I, I still want to increase the number of people that are going to have access to right. our property. Right. And, and believe me, folks, there's a long list. It's like getting Green Bay Packer tickets. <laughs> I, I keep track of everyone. And, and then sometimes it's really random. Somebody gets invited for just because I, um, uh, well, there's just different reasons for it. Like, hey, this friend of mine. Well, one of the things I promised the people that hunt on my property is that if they are going to mentor somebody. Mm-hmm. And they need a place to take them. They've got a place. Yeah. No, don't tell me. Don't tell me that you're mentoring your buddy who's been hunting for yeah. twenty years. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And but a new like, hunter, <laughs> a new person, a kid, like all of those. Um, there's so many. There's so many people out there looking for somebody to just guide them into it. That having that yeah. opportunity makes it a little bit easier to jump in and and show somebody the ropes. Yeah, and I that is something that's one of my goals is to do more um, new hunter mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or at least newish hunter stuff. I'm planning some things for the spring that are, are going to be, I, I hope, are going to be really interesting. Um, and, you know, new and, and people who maybe are experienced hunters in other areas, but not in spring turkey right. hunting, in Wisconsin especially. Um, so, you know, a lot of different 
lot of different opportunities there, a lot of different interests. Um, and then go back to it, responsibility, right? Right. You know, I, I, let me sum up the thing about chronic wasting disease. So I said, and I, I, I don't know why, I mean, I talk and talk and talk and talk, but at the end of it all, I reduce things to bumper stickers, right? Like mm-hmm. my conservation mantra, it's not ours. It's yes. just our turn we can talk about. But if you don't, you know, CWD, I mean, you can see it on a bumper sticker, right? If you don't have it, you don't want it. And yeah. if you do have it, you want as little as possible. Yeah. Um, Which involves is, everybody. It involves every right. single person out there. The follow-up to that or the continuation of that is by time, and pay for science. Mm-hmm. We're not funding enough um, on on any level for the the, the uh, research on this disease. Right. But what we can do to buy time, you can't. Maybe we can stop it in some areas. You can stop it from coming in, but you can definitely slow it down. Yes. <laughs> I know what happens when you say, ah, "Don't worry about it." We did that in Wisconsin, and it just and it's a firestorm. Prevalence went up and the spread quickly. Yeah, yeah. And people are now, you know, concerned about it. When when CWD started twenty years or it was discovered twenty years ago, um, you know, about sixty five miles south of me on the other side of the Wisconsin River, I was like, ah, and we got more opportunities for um, early hunting. I'm a predominantly a gun hunter, so we got early opportunities for gun hunting and stuff, which upset some of my bow hunting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's my farm I yeah mean, you know but it's not your deer you know i mean they have all those conversations which are really interesting but um that you know that mentality that that change in it man it, it blew up and there are places where people aren't allowed to hunt mm-hmm. by landowners um, there's high deer numbers there i'm not worried about it um, all kinds of different things. Yeah. And consequently, we have continuing growth in numbers. And a lot of the naysayers are like, oh, I thought the deer were all going to be dead in 20 years. 20 years later, we still have as many. Well, anecdotally. And how healthy and are they? Study, yeah. Well, they're not getting as old, right? Right. We have a big population because it takes two years for the deer to die. And that's a whole other you know, conversation. But anecdotally, which is what I hear at my kiosk, Man, we're not south of us. We're not really seeing the big bucks anywhere. There aren't any big bucks on my farm either. (laughs) (laughs) There might be there might be a couple of decent ones around, Um, but to hear that from hunters in areas that have um, traditionally had big bucks, yeah, you know, and people saying, "Look, we're not seeing older deer." So the herd is trending younger. It only makes sense if you follow the the logic of it, yeah. right? I mean, you don't have to be a. And the other part of this is I'm a farm farm kid, right? I grew up grew up with a farm and still have a farm. It's animal husbandry. Yes. It's like basic animal husbandry, and there's basic common sense. And my or anyone's interest in a particular outcome, like all we're going to do is grow big giant bucks. I'm not going to worry about CWD. Those two things. The good news is, is you can, if we control the disease, you can have both. Right. Right. Well, that's, so when I started hunting and when my kids were old enough to kind of understand this, it was really, it was hysterical. Great, but hysterical to hear because somebody would say, oh, your family hunts. They hunt deer, those poor deer. And my daughter, let's see, I started hunting 2003, 2004. And no, sorry, 14, 13, 14. Um, and so 
she was about five, six years old. And it was great because she would turn to them and say, if we don't hunt them, then they're going to get sick. Wow. If we don't hunt them, then they're going to, there's going to be so many that they're going to spread disease. She's five, five or six years old. They're going to spread disease and then you won't see them anymore. And, um, and that's, you know, that's talking EHD, that's talking, um, that's talking blue tongue, that's talking, what is it? Uh, the tuberculosis that like, that's talking about all of the disease that if you have such a dense population of deer, which is what we have in Tennessee, um, if you don't hunt them, Mm-hmm. then you're not going to see them anymore. So you're talking to anti-hunters, you're talking to non-hunters, which are two do- different groups. Um, if you're talking to people who aren't hunters and you're trying to explain CWD and other diseases within our deer population, it's hard to not include hunters in the positive side of helping conserving these herds. And so that has been a fun conversation over the past six, seven years to watch my daughter have that with people. And who's going to yell at a five or six year old about hunting an animal for the good of the animal? Yeah. Well, and, and, and and it's still good for you if they're instilling that so early on, you know, I have, I have a daughter, um, who's now 23 and who started hunting. Um, I mean, she hunted, would go hunting with me, mm-hmm. like what she'd say, and walk in the woods. <laughs> Let's go for a walk in the woods. <laughs> We're going to go up to the farm and she go and walk in the woods. And and then when I was hunting and she got kind of interested in that, she went with me. And um, the first time I took her deer hunting, we went and sat on this hillside. I took the rifle along. I didn't even put any shells in the, mm-hmm. in the, you know, in the magazine. And um, some deer went through, and I didn't shoot. She goes, at that time, I, she was 12 or 10 or something. I have a picture of her yet, uh, and then maybe she was 10. And um, uh, we had watched them, and it was this wonderful thing. But I remember going hunting. The, one of the first times hunting with my dad was squirrel hunting. And we went out and sat in the woods, and we actually saw a really nice buck. You know, for me, it was as big as the world. It was oh, probably yeah. a little quirky or something. but. Um, and the going along was so important to me. You know, it was time with my dad. Yeah. And I replicated that with her. But funny story, we get back and I put the rifle away. And the next time we go out, she says to me, so this time you're going to put bullets in the gun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So then from there on, she was with me. She was a good luck term. She was with me. Two or three times that I and I got here, mm-hmm. um, and I remember once she was in high school biology, and we didn't uh, field dress that deer; we dissected it. And yeah, she's just like blew it all. It was really interesting to her. And then two years ago, she um, said to me, "Hey, Dad, um, I know I've you know never taken hunter safety, but you can take me." She like researched it. Yeah, you can be my mentor. Take me as a mentee. You know, I know how to shoot because she had done some shooting. And so we had gone, went back out, went out. And I said, I'll take you, sure. And, and so we got her license and um, learned if she can get a nice little buck that day um, within her range. And um, and uh, then she was in a sorority at the time. And, and uh, 
And she also took, uh, you know, talk about medicine and diplomacy. She took medicine back to Chicago. Yeah. University where she was in school and fed venison to her sorority sisters. Yeah. So what a, I mean, what a great, you know, way of uh, expanding that. Um, I just talked to her a couple of days ago and she's trying to figure out when she lives in Chicago and trying to figure out when she can come up. But that responsibility, and she's seen that all along on our, on, on our, our farm that, um, the, the way that we care for. And yeah. And then it's full circle. That, and, yeah. and we're going to have to have another conversation because this isn't long enough and um, <laughs> we're just going to have to do it again. But yeah. I think that that's a good place to close right now because that's something like we have talked a little bit about CWD. We have talked a little bit about land ownership. We've talked a little bit about our responsibility as hunters. And it, it that's it's full circle. It, yeah. it starts from the moment that you even think about hunting is what is my responsibility as a hunter? Yes, it's hunter's education. Yes, it's following laws. It's knowing where you are, wherever you're hunting. What are those restrictions? What what uh, license do you need? What like all of this goes into it, but it's also what happens when I harvest something? What is my responsibility at that point? And so it does encircle and encompass all of it whether you yourself are learning or you're helping somebody else learn. And that's yeah, huge. I, I, no, no, it really is. And, and then the part of it that I, that I would stress even more, and this has to do with the landowner and the, the conservation and the concept of it's not ours, it's just our turn. Um, that if, if you think about, uh, let me explain this, I guess. <laughs> if I think about my farm, or my family's farm as a yardstick, right? Mm-hmm. And the time and effort and everything. I would say that less than six inches of that yardstick are about hunting. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Land about the conservation, yes. about the about the woods, about the balance, about yeah. all of those different things. And um, I, I mean, I, again, I reduced it to that bumper sticker, right? It's not ours; it's just our turn. Yeah. Right? And I've realized that um, that you know farm that's been in my family for 117 years you want to um, keep it passing it on and my daughter and her cousins all feel the same way yeah. you know because that's kind of how they've been yep but and i think that's those are important lessons for for us all to learn i agree doug thank you yeah i appreciate it we'll it do this fun. again I promise I will come and do it again. I, I mean, you asked me some, you sent me these questions and we, we, we answered one of them. <laughs> see, see, I just left the door open. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. I'd be happy to do it again. All right. Well, um, guys, you can follow Doug. How can they find you? Well, it's real complicated at Doug Duren, D O U G D U R E N on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, my website is uniquely named DougDuren.com. Yes, and it's linked Same there. Spell. You can find it yep. through Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, those are the two uh, biggest ways I would uh, give a pitch for my uh, my good buddy, uh, Steve Ranella and, yes. and Meat Eater. Um, I'm, I'll be uh, about, I guess, about a month from now or three weeks from now, there's an episode of The Back 40. Yeah. Uh, with my- Canyon that I'll be on. Um, Onyx, where uh, Onyx, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be posting about that. Okay. And thanks, the, the Vortex folks, and yeah, you know, follow me. My Instagram stuff is all over the place. Yeah. I have 
it's whatever happens to come to mind that particular uh, moment. Which so. is perfect. Well, thank you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> thank you.